So again, tonight we are going to finish up uh, the one of five sections on our systematic theology, which we kind of use the acrostic tulip to try to explain what it is that we as Reformed churches believe. And tonight is one of the, in a sense, least controversial ones. Uh, uh, Joseph Arminius, uh, 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 350 years ago. Uh, believed in consistence with the idea that you can you can obtain your salvation, uh, you can choose God. Uh, to be consistent with that means you could also lose that salvation. Okay, so he believed that you could actually lose a sal- salvation. Uh, but the reformers said, no, you, what salvation that can be lost is not salvation at all. And uh, that's where we have the principle of perseverance of the saints. We will persevere to the end. Not because we're wonderful or self-disciplined or perfect, but because God is great. And we have a covenant with God and he keeps his promises. So there is a power in the assurance of salvation. An assurance which the Catholic Church declares an anathema against. And saying that it is evil, that, you would be, that, that people would actually be presumptive enough to believe that they uh, can be saved for sure and secure. Uh, and... Uh, well, they can declare their anathema, but that's what the Word of God says, right? So we're going to learn that principle tonight, and it's going to be a very encouraging principle. Uh, Modern-day Arminians, uh, many of them do now accept this doctrine because they realize it's irrational to have a salvation that can be lost. But uh, Dr. Starkey is going to uh, tell us much more about that. Uh, Tom Starkey has been teaching uh, in higher education for some years. They were missionaries uh, to Haiti for some years, and he is an ordained elder in the Presbyterian Church of America, the PCA. So we welcome you and thank you for your hard preparation and for... Showing us about the perseverance of the saints, Tom. Thank you. Good evening. It's a different perspective. Usually I'm on the left looking over to the middle. But let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, you tell us that we rejoice when we go up to the house of the Lord. And Father, we rejoice tonight to be here. Father, because you are here. Father, we rejoice to know that you are sovereign. We rejoice to know that you love us and that you have provided a salvation that will last through eternity for us. Father, guide and direct us. Help us to hear you today in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then our topic tonight, perseverance of the saints. What do all these have in common? They summarize God's work in salvation. And most importantly, they highlight his omnipotent love of God, uh, the omnipotent love of God. For we began this in, in June, first of June. We'll continue talking about some of the distinctives of the Reformed theology through July. Now, I think most of us realize that what we're covering up to this date and in July is just the tip of the iceberg of the Reformed theology. And, you know, you may have been in the Reformed uh, church for all your, you know, life, or you may be new to it. But what I'd really encourage you to think about is perhaps digging deeper into the Reformed faith. And I remember when we uh, first uh, joined our church in Alabama, the PCA church, we spent a year going through the Westminster Confession of Faith. 
And that had to be the best Sunday school class that I've ever attended. We got through that, and there was no doubt that we were going to be in a Reformed church. In fact, when we moved, the first priority was to try to find a Reformed church. And then, okay, there are a number of Reformed churches in this area. That's why we're coming here. Oh, helps turn it on, I guess. Okay, point of clarification. Start with two questions. Do you have a sure hope that you belong to God forever? And the second question, do you have a sure hope that you belong to God now? Okay. When you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, there are two chapters that seem to have a little bit of overlap. And uh, they can be uh, confusing. But we're going to be looking tonight at chapter 17, Perseverance of the Saints, and the certainty of our salvation. The following chapter, chapter 18 in the Westminster Confession of Faith, is the assurance of grace and salvation, what we ourselves can know about our own salvation. I hope by the end of the night that when we finish that the first question you'll have an answer to, that you do know that you will live forever if you are a saint. We'll not be addressing directly the second question of assurance. Uh, do you know now that you belong to God? But if you or someone that you know struggles with this idea of knowing that you're born again, knowing that you're saved, the Bible tells us that we can know. So we take that as truth. I'd really encourage you to pick up a Bible, start looking at verses of assurance, and then pick up the Westminster Confession of Faith and look through uh, chapter 18. Two, I think, really important books that I've, that I've really come to know and love. The one is by Terry Johnson. I think most of you, many of you are familiar with that on Reformed Faith. This one I've really, really have enjoyed reading. Oh, it's uh, Confessing the Faith, the Faith by Chad uh, Van Dixhorn. It's Confessing the Faith, a Reader's Guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith. These are two excellent books. If you want to look at them, they'll be up here afterwards. Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise that when we talk about perseverance of saints, that there are a lot of other terms that you hear as you look at information. We have eternal security. We have security of the believer. We have persevering grace. We have preservation of the saints. And we have no lost causes. Now, number four there, preservation of the saints, was made popularized by R.C. Sproul and the no lost causes by Michael Horton. These are all good definitions, good uh, words that, can, that, that go along with perseverance of the saints, but probably the traditional uh, reform view of uh, terminology would be perseverance of the saints. There are a couple terms that are often misused and misunderstood, these being once saved, always saved, and eternal salvation. Now, the reason that these are quite commonly misunderstood is that who's ever using them does not define the terminology. And we particularly see this with the uh, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. I don't have to worry about the way I live. And they go from there. So those two probably are the least popular among the uh, reform uh, group. I want to start by trying to summarize a little bit the chapter 17 of the Westminster uh, Confession into three different uh, short sentences. The first 
in chapter 17, as saints, our eternal security is preserved by God's grace. Second, as saints, we persevere in faith to the end because he has immutably declared that we are his. Now, tonight, we're going to be talking about two terms. We're going to be talking about preserved and persevere. I hope I can keep it straight. So listen carefully, okay, because they, many times you get tongue-tied and they get switched. But as saints, our eternal security is preserved by God's grace. As saints, we persevere in faith to the end because he has immutably declared decreed that we are his. And then we know that his saints may fall, sometimes for a season, even seriously and radically, suffering the consequences of sins, but will never fall totally and finally. That gives us that eternal security. If we look at the verses in the Bible, and there are a lot of verses on perseverance of the saints, a lot of verses, we can lump them into two different categories. We've got one group of verses that indicate that uh, God preserves the saints for eternal glorification. God preserves the saints for eternal glorification. And then another group that indicates that his saints will persevere in their faith till the end, striving for holiness. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at some examples of both these verses. And now, as I said, there are a lot of verses and Obviously, we cannot, in the time that we have, cannot go through all of them for both these different uh, categories. But let's start by looking first that the uh, saints are preserved by God. Uh, Psalm 37:28, and there are other good uh, Old Testament in Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, but this one in Psalms 37 I like. It says, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. So again, the idea of his saints are preserved by God. The next one, if I had to pick one verse, boil the perseverance of the saints down to one single verse, without a doubt, it would be Philippians 1.6. Everything I read, looked at, there was not a single article that, uh, that did not have Philippians 1.6 in as the flagship verse of the perseverance of the saints. For I am sure of this, for the he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Looking at Ephesians, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, Michael Horton, in his book, Putting Amazing Back in Grace, has a real good word picture illustration of this particular verse. Let me ask you, how many of you sat around the table as children watching your mother or grandmother make jelly? Raise your hands. Okay, good. Now, let me ask you, before they were making jelly using the hot water bath to seal the jars, what did they use? Paraffin. Paraffin, wax. Okay. Now, why do they use wax? To seal the jar. You know, your mother or your grandmother would, uh, she would choose the berries that she wanted. She would wash them, cut them, prepare them, place them in the jar. And then she would pour that hot wax over the top of the, uh, of the jar. Let it cool, put the top on, put it on the, on the table. I still remember 
when I, when I saw this illustration, I still remember picking pieces of wax out of my toast and jelly, uh, you know, after she opened up the first jar. Uh, but it would have been foolish for your mother or grandmother who's making the jelly not to put wax on it because if she just put the fruit in there, prepared it, took all the effort to do it, and then stuck it on the jar, what would that jelly be like in six months? Be rotten. Okay, so the wax preserves it. This really is, is you know, God preserves, preserves us in our salvation also. You know, God does the same thing for us. He calls us, he redeems us as his own, and then he seals us with the Holy Spirit for a later time. So the, the word picture is really a good one. Uh, one other verse in uh, the saints are preserved by God, 1 Peter 1, 5. By God's power, we are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I want to look at a few verses now that talk about the idea that the saints will be preserved in their, in their faith, striving for holiness. Uh, the first verse, Matthew 24, 12 through 13 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Colossians 1.23 says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Again, saints need to persevere. Okay, saints need to persevere. We saw uh, that God preserves us, but the saints need to persevere in their faith. The uh, passage, the passage in Second Peter, right before uh, verses ten and eleven, Peter goes through and lists a series of qualities that we as Christians should uh, have in our life. Uh, virtues are qualities such as faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. Godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And then he uh, says in verse 10 and 11, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, the ones he just listed, uh, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And then ending with a, a verse out of Revelations, Revelations 14, 12. Here is the uh, perseverance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So we see two groups of verses. One, say, one group saying that God will preserve the saints. Then we see another group of verses that says that the saints must persevere uh, in faith, uh, striving for holiness. So what I'd like to try to do is maybe to combine these two ideas into one, into one sentence. And it's hard to believe, beat the first paragraph of the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter seven, uh, 17. You know, it's a biblically sound and very concise definition. And it says, those whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in it to the end and be eternally saved. In this little definition here, we see two, both ideas. First of all, that God preserves the saints. 
Okay, God preserves the saints. And then secondly, we see that the saints, by God's power, will persevere in their faith, strive for holiness. Now, where we see misunderstanding and abuse of the idea of perseverance of the faith, it's because a lot of people that take this definition, they stop after the word grace. They don't go any further. And this is where we get this idea, once saved, always saved. If I believe, therefore I'm saved, I don't have to worry about you know, what I do. I can live my life any way I want. We'll be talking a little bit more about that as time goes on. Now, a word picture. All of us learn different ways. Some of us can just hear, can read, and we remember concepts. I have the tendency, if I have a word picture to associate with the definition, I remember it a lot longer. And I wanted to share a word picture that I think helps me to remember what perseverance of the saints uh, is. And that word picture would be two sides of the same coin, perseverance of the saints. Every one of you probably has a coin in their pocket. I can guarantee you that nobody will bring out a, a coin out of their pocket that only has one side on it. Every coin has to have two sides. Same way when we talk about perseverance of the saints, we have to have two sides to it. We have, first of all, the idea of preservation, and second of all, the idea of perseverance. God preserved the saints, that is the security of believers, and then secondly, his saints will persevere in faith, striving for holiness. A coin would not be a coin without two sides. Perseverance of the saints would not be perseverance of the saints with both, without preservation and perseverance. So we have to have both of those. So how do saints pers persevere? Okay. It would be uh, nice to think that, you know, when we uh, were saved at that moment, we realized that we had salvation, that God zapped us. We never had to worry about sin, never had to worry about uh, growing in grace. You know, we were holy, and that was it. But, you know, as we know, it doesn't happen that way. We persevere in faith, not by our own strength. And that's very important. It's not on our own strength, but by the power of the almighty God who has chosen us to preserve. Jerry Bridges has two good books. One's called uh, Transforming Grace, and the other one is called uh, The Doctrine of Grace. He nailed me in the, between, right between the eyes when I started reading that book, because I've always been a very, very, in some ways, a lot of legalistic uh, ways in my uh, approach to the Lord. And uh, I really realized that I was doing a lot of this on my own strength. And those, those are two very good books I'd uh, highly recommend. That, you know, that we are saved, not on our own strength, but by the power of the Almighty, who's chosen to preserve us. You know, what God has done is that God has provided means and methods for our perseverance. He hasn't left us to struggle on our own. He's provided means and methods for our perseverance. Theologians call these means of grace. We have corporate worship, preaching of God's word, prayer participation in the sacraments. We have meditation on scripture, joining a local church, exhortation and encouragement of the saints. You know, these are all distinctives of the uh, reformed faith. So what has God, God has provided us the way to persevere and that's through the means, means of grace. You know, these means are, a point, are talked about in God's word. And we're in, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives to make them effective uh, in each of our lives. Now, a very important statement is our ability to persevere 
It is proportional to our use of the means or methods that God has appointed. Say that again. Our ability to persevere is proportional to our use of the means or methods that God has, has chosen, has appointed for us. He's provided the means of grace as the, as the method. One commentator refers to the means of grace as means of growth. I, I like that particular analogy. You know, there are a lot of churches nowadays that focus on uh, catchy cliches, messages that compromise the gospel, uh, worship that emphasizes entertainment. We don't need to buy into those, obviously. You know, we need to have a church much like ours that affirms the uh, means of grace as a way to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to look at two, what I probably are considered the two most important and most convincing passages on the perseverance of the saints. The first is Romans 8, 35 to 39. As we start to read this verse, we see uh, who, will we separate, who will separate us. Who's the us refer to? Well, to find that what this verse is in context, we need to back up a few verses. And we back up to that familiar verse in Romans 8, 28, uh, that begins by saying, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. A lot of people, that's where they stop. Okay? A lot of people love God. A lot of people aren't saved. But a lot of people say that they love God. Well, if you carry that a little further, it tells us the context of this particular verse. Because it goes, uh, for, those, uh, for all those that love God, called according to his purpose. For those who are called according to his purpose, those he foreknew... And he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So this whole passage in Romans refers to those born again. He refers to the saints. Uh, you know, this passage is a really a promise of eternal security. I like to refer to this passage, too, as the but, but what if passage. But what if. You know, but what if I do this or that? But what if I commit this particular sin? It's all answered in this particular verse. And let's just uh, read through this. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse includes 100% of the things that you could come up with that you could say would steal you out of Christ's hand, steal, steal you out of God's hand. You, you can't think of anything. Uh, it's all included there. And one of the important little words right at the very end is any other created thing. You know, there are those... Uh, that are truly saints, no doubt about it, that for whatever reason, they decide on their own that they're going to divorce God at some point in their life. They're going to turn their back on God. Can they do it? No, they can't. It's all because of that little word there, created things. We are created things. We're included right there. How about Satan? You know, we, we know that Satan will cause us to fall, sometimes fall for a season. Uh, we know that the heartache and uh, that, that goes along with everything that he, he brings on. But can he ever cause us to totally fall? No. Satan is a created being, including this verse. 100% of anything that you can think of that would steal you out of the hands of God is in this particular verse. You know, that, that ought to, that, that's cause for praise in my opinion. 
probably my favorite verse is John 10. You know, in John 10, we have a beautiful picture, a word picture of the relationship between the great shepherd, true believers, and sheep. You know, this is probably the strongest and clearest and most convincing text uh, there is in the scripture on the perseverance of the saints. Again, word pictures, I love them. Let's assume tonight that we're all sheep. Okay, we're all familiar with that passage in 2 Corinthians where it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Let's change it. If any man be in Christ, he's a sheep. Okay, so I'm looking now at 35, 40 sheep sitting there. Okay, so let's, let's read through this verse and then we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Sam Storm came up with this uh, slogan uh, to go along with this, uh, which I really like. Once a sheep, always a sheep. Okay. Do you, have you ever heard of a sheep turning into a cat? Have you ever heard of a sheep turning into a dog? Or how about a goat? Now, I have to stop and qualify that. I know there's some husbands here who are very, very stubborn, and their, old, their wives may say that, uh, call you an old goat, but that has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. So, you know, once a sheep, always a sheep. Once we're saved, truly saved, we're always saved. There's no doubt, there's no doubt about it. A few things that we can learn from this passage. First of all, uh, we see that my... If you're a true sheep, you hear the voice of the, of the shepherd. You hear the true voice of the shepherd. How do we hear the voice of the shepherd? Through his word, through the means of grace. And that it says that we follow him. We grow in grace. That's perseverance that we talked about, being part of the uh, perseverance of the saints. We also see that the shepherd knows us. You know, I love this idea that God, that God knows us. He knows every hair on our head. If you're a sheep, you got a lot of hair. So, you know, he knows every hair on your head. He knows your beginning. He knew you from the womb when you were in the womb. He knows your past. He knows your thoughts. We know from scripture also that the good shepherd intercedes and prays for us daily. This morning, we were going through the uh, shorter catechism. Question 25. What was the last phrase in question 25? Anybody remember? The very last part of 25, that talking about Jesus as priest. Jeff? Hmm? He continually makes intercession for us. He continually makes intercession for us. You know, that's assuring to know that God is continually praying for us. So we know that the great shepherd, this is what he's doing. But that doesn't stop there. You know, our verse here tells us that he gives us eternal life. It's a gift. It's nothing that we, we have to do to get it. It's a gift. And nobody can snatch him out of the hand. Notice the word. We have two times that he talks about no one can snatch him out of the father's hand. No one can snatch him out of the son's hand. That's preservation. So we're preserved uh, by God. And then we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Richard Baxter is a, a Puritan, lived in the mid-1650s. And he had a good quote that I like. And it says, uh, in our first paradise, in the Garden of Eden... There was a way to go out, but no way to go in again. But as for the heavenly paradise, there is a way to go in, but there's no way to go out. Eternal security.
<clears throat> what about those that turn their back on the faith? Okay, the Reformed faith affirms that within the church, there are two groups of people. There are those that fall away from the faith and do not return, and they never truly had salvation uh, to begin with. And then there's those that fall away from the season and do return. Let's look at a few verses that uh, talk about this. First uh, John 2.19. Uh, they went, and this verse actually talks about both those that fall away and never return and those that fall away but come back again. So we have both of them included in this particular verse. It says, uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not, that they are not of us. Mark 7, 6, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There are people within the church, we know, that know all the churchy things to do, know the right way to act. But Jesus says here, you know, they honor me with their lips. They know how to praise me, but their heart is far from me. This verse scares me. If I had to name the soberest verse in a Bible, it would be this verse. It can bring great joy and, and peace if you're sure of your salvation. But if you don't have that assurance of salvation, this verse scares me. It says, not everyone will say to me, Lord, Lord. And, and again, to note the, the double, the Lord, Lord. You can just, in my mind, I could just hear the people crying. Uh, not everyone will say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus declares, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice that he doesn't say, okay, I knew you till you committed that 713th sin, and then that was it. No, he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. And like I said, you know, if you have the assurance of your salvation, this joy is, brings peace. But boy, if you're struggling with the assurance of salvation, it's a scary, scary verse. So who's missing in the church pew next to you? You know, again, we talked about two groups of people, those that have the characteristics of a true Christian but aren't, and those truly born-again saints who fall away from the faith they possessed once to have. <clears throat> there are those we know that just know, quote-unquote, just know that they're saved. And what is the basis for their salvation? Well, on June 17th, 1975, I prayed a certain prayer that somebody told me to pray. You know, I walked the church aisle. I joined a church. I was baptized. You know, many, many of these people believe falsely that they can live any way they want uh, and expect to get into heaven. You know, what is the error in this? The error is they fail to see that eternal security involves more than be, uh, being preserved by God. It also includes a persevering faith, striving for holiness. Again, the coin, two sides. We have the two sides of the perseverance of the saints. You have to believe that God is that God is going to preserve you, but also that perseverance of the faith has to go along with that. So what about 
truly born-again saints that fall away from the faith uh, they possess to have. Let's look at a couple examples from, from God's word. We don't have to go far into the Bible before we start finding examples of saints, of uh, people that have fallen uh, in the Bible. You know, we've got Moses, Noah, uh, but probably without a doubt, if I was to ask you to name one person, it would be David. You know, you know, David is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Without a doubt, he had the spirit of God living within him. He had a profound and passionate love for the things of God. Think where the Bible would be without half the Psalms. Think what the Bible would be. David, I think I heard, heard that David is mentioned in name second to Jesus in the Bible. You know, if we took out all references to David, you know, why is the story of David in there? It's a warning to us. Okay, it's not an example. It's a warning to us. <clears throat> you know, David fell, as we know. He was involved in adultery, conspiracy to commit murder. David embraced his sin more fully and more deliberately than probably any other saint that we read about in the Bible. But David paid the consequences of his sins. You know, and those sins were immense. If you take the time to look, beginning in uh, 2 Samuel uh, 12, what happened to the heirs of David? What happened to those associated with David? People even around David. You know, it makes the sins of Peyton Place, you know, look like the story of Snow White and the, and the Seven Dwarfs. You know, it pales in comparison to uh, anything that we know of. And again, but we do know that this, the end of the story is that David fell for a period of time. He repented, keyword, he repented and was restored. Let's jump over to the New Testament. Two people, Judas, Peter. Okay. Judas, called by God to be a disciple. Peter, called by Jesus to be a disciple. Judas, walked with and listened to Jesus for three years. Peter walked with and listened to Jesus for three years. Judas watched Jesus perform miracles. Peter watched Jesus perform miracles. Judas, Jesus predicted that Jesus predicted that Judas would betray Christ. Peter, Jesus predicted that Peter would betray Christ. That's where the similarities stop. If we look at Judas, one interesting point is that Jesus did not pray for Judas's restoration. Jesus did not pray that, that uh, Judas would repent. John 13, 3, 27 says, Then after he, Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. What did Judas do? He betrayed Christ and went out and committed suicide. Judas did not have the Holy Spirit, did not lose the Holy Spirit. He never had the Holy Spirit to begin with. A little different scenario for Peter. Jesus prayed for Peter's restoration, that Peter would repent before his fall. In Luke 22, 31, 32, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Two important points in this particular verse. First of all, 
the word when. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you return, then strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, when you return, the certainty, again, of it. When you return, strengthen your brothers. And, of course, the one that I really like is that I have prayed for you. You know, we have, as, as true believers, we have the assurance to know that Jesus is making intercession for us daily. Well, what happened with Peter? Peter betrayed, denied Christ. He fell for a time. He repented. And then he was restored. You know, that's the assurance that we have as true believers. Not one of, of Judas, but one of Peter. I'd like to summarize this in a few statements, and then I've got uh, probably four other uh, pages after that. Uh, as saints, our eternal security and our ability to persevere rests 100% in the arms of God. We don't do anything for it. If you're a true believer, you will persevere. If you're a true believer, your salvation is preserved. The means that God has appointed for our spiritual nourishment and growth to, to persevere are the means of grace. The word, preaching, meditation, prayer, sacraments, corporate worship. <clears throat> when saints fall, it's for a season, and they experience the consequences of sin. But their fall is never full and final. The road back starts with one important word, repentance. I want to close by what I think, give, trying to give some encouragement to perseverance of the saints. You know, if you're a true believer, if you have confidence that you are born again, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, uh, really it gives you hope. And, and what we're, we're not talking about hope, but gee, I hope this happens. We're talking about the assurance of hope from a biblical standpoint. But we know, what about true believers? How do we view perseverance of the saints? Well, just looking at some of the underline, underlines here. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. And I love this part. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven. In this you rejoice. If you're a true believer... Person of the variance, you should be rejoicing and shouting, Amen. What about those that are struggling with sin? Without a doubt, sin should grieve our hearts. Without a doubt, when we practice sin over and over again, it can be very discouraging, obviously, and give us a sense of hopelessness. But when we look at Scripture, if you're a true believer, and even if you're in a sin that continually you're going over and over and over again, you still have to realize that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 8.38, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. No sin, nothing can separate you from God's love. And then Jeremiah 31.33 uh, says, uh, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write them on my heart. God has written his law on your heart. He has given you the desire to grow in grace. <clears throat> and then he says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. You know, the promise that we have, even if we struggle with sin, is to know that as true believers, you know, there is grace. There is victory in that. Probably the hardest one to talk about are about prodigals. You know, probably there are many here today that have uh, children 
or friends that you definitely consider as prodigals. You know, what is the hope that parents and friends of prodigals have? Uh, John 10, 27 and 30 again. If they are born again, there's nothing that can separate them from God's love, God's hand. Nothing that can separate them. You know, we know that many times, if, if, well, if they are true believers, you know, we have to believe and we know that God is working in their lives. You know, he's working. He's watching. He's guiding. He's interceding daily for those prodigals, even as they are prodigals. And he will never lose them. Secondly, unfortunately, sometimes timing is not what we would like it to be. Sometimes prodigals last for a lifetime. How do you pray for a prodigal? You know, we sit around and say, Lord, bring him back to the church. That's good. Lord, uh, teach him this or that. That's good. But no, you know, the way we need to pray for prodigals, first of all and foremost, is we need to pray for repentance. We need to pray that they will repent of their sins while they are still thoughts before they become actions. You know, we need to pray that they will grasp the means of grace in their path back to restoration. And, you know, it's so important that we pray that they will that they will repent because we know that unless there's true repentance, they'll never be restored. They'll continue in that same lifestyle, suffering the consequences of sin over and over again. What about those that are suffering under debilitating diseases such as Alzheimer's? You know, how do you deal with that? You know, Philippians 1.6, you know, being confident of the very thing. He that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. They may have become true believers at age 13, but at age 90, they may suffer Alzheimer's. And you know all the things that go along with that. Uh, Isaiah 46.4, even in your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and will bear you. I will carry you and will save. Alzheimer's, as we know, is very, very difficult to deal with. My grandmother <clears throat> lived to be 99. And the last few years of her life, she was in the throes of Alzheimer's. She was a god. I hope I can get through this. She was the godliest woman that I knew. Um, you know, every night that I'd come home, I knew exactly where to find her. She'd be in the kitchen, drinking day-old coffee, reading her Bible. She worked for most of her adult life in an inner-city uh, rescue mission in uh, Camden, New Jersey, where she uh, worked with children. <clears throat> godly, godly woman personality changes with Alzheimer's. The <clears throat> nurses, I remember telling us that they'd never seen anybody that could curse like a drunken sailor like she could after Alzheimer's. Totally different, totally out of character. Did we lose faith? No, we knew. We knew she had that assurance of salvation. What about those that are at death's doorstep? You know, Philippians 1, 6 again, you know, he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. We have to rely, if we're near death, those that are near death, we have to rely on the fact of God's promises. And of course, Romans 8, 30, 35 or 39, nothing can separate us from God's love. We have to rest there. We're going to be singing a song in closing. Uh, he will hold me fast. And this is the second stanza from that particular uh, hymn. Let me read it to you. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. 
He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cross, he will hold me fast. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you so much, Father, for eternal salvation. Thank you, Father, that we can know that we are saved, that we can settle that question today and that you've already settled it for eternity. And we thank you for that. Be with us, guide, direct us. But Lord, give us that desire, Father, to dig deeper into your word. Be with us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.